Buy term, invest the rest has almost become some form of crusade going around in the personal finance enthusiast community. It's something pretty heated at times, and rightfully so, I mean, not everybody has to agree, but the proliferation and increased access to financial products today have made this a real possibility. But what really underpins this ideology? What is the role of insurance and why term? How does whole life insurance and ILPs, investment link plans, actually work? When I first started digging into the names alone, it was really messy. So join me as we dive deeper into the broader insurance space and understand better about buy term, invest the rest. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Welcome to a special mini-series of Provident Chills with TFC. In this series, we'll be bringing on a team of wealth managers and financial professionals with varied life experiences to share about topics we believe you will be interested in. Definitely, this series is sponsored by Provident. If you cannot yet tell, Singapore's first fee-only wealth advisory firm, meaning all their clients pay them a fixed fee for planning their finances. They do not accept any fees or compensation from product providers at all. And with this model, they believe that there will be no conflict of interest. I'm sure many of you coconuts have heard of this idea of buy term, invest the rest, but today we are going deeper into what is so powerful about this, how it potentially increases your investment yield while giving you increased flexibility in your personal finance mix. So joining me today is a duo which accounts for one of the most senior client advisor and one of the youngest client advisor to be at Provident. One, a dad of two teenagers and avid hiker, the other harnessing his greed from his sailing days. Let's welcome Chicken and Brian. What is the role of insurance in someone's you know, personal finance ecosystem? Yeah, I mean, you rightly pointed out the plan is your own goal, your financial plan. So insurance is a support role, right? So it's a just-in-case scenario. So the most of the time, I think the human capital, that means your ability to earn an income, is important. And let's say on average you work 40 years. And if your income is, let's say, 100K a, a year, 40 years means 4 million. Not that you can save 4 million, but ability maybe over a career is 4 million. You want to really protect that, right? So you don't want to have any illness or sickness or disability. And then you are not able to then fulfill that potential or not provide for your family and loved one. So insurance is important, but it's an expense that we need to spend just in case things happen. Mm, okay, so that is the basis of human capital, essentially your labor income, right? Like you can make all this money by right. Under normal circumstances, you are going to make this set of money already, right? Uh, unless weird things like COVID happen, okay? <laughs> but these days, uh, a lot of ways to mitigate all these risks also. Um, so in that sense, insurance is really just a risk management product. It's not something that you buy to get rich. Correct. Yes. Nobody buy insurance <laughs> to claim. La. I mean... Uh, no, but on the ground, I hear a lot of people say, you know, oh, if let's say something happened to me, I can make a billion dollars. You know, that, that kind of thing. So the seed must be planted somewhere. Somewhere, somehow, somewhat, people 
some people actually think that buying insurance, you know, it's it's a way of getting wealthy in, in accidents. La. I, I actually disagree with that. Mm. Um, why, why do you think insurance companies are actually quite successful company, meaning mm. that the profit is quite high? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, if, if everybody can claim, I'm quite sure insurance company can't make money and survive. Mm. So, really, insurance is a shared pool of risk that um, people claiming are definitely much lesser than the total premium collected. And really, we really want to have our own financial plan to achieve our goals. We want insurance just in case things happen, right? So our human capital is really important. It's not just income, but it's also your own development. You need to pour in resources to make sure that you have the proper training, the network, you're not irrelevant. So you have to manage that side of the risk, but illness, accident, death, insurance can take care. And we need to make sure we have the right amount of insurance for our life stage. Okay, so, so if insurance is not a plan, then what is a plan? <laughs> what constitutes a financial plan? Um, so a financial plan really constitutes a number of elements, right? So insurance is one of these elements, and it's really the contingency part. Um, but there's also a main part where, you know, you have some goals. For example, you need to save for your children's education or eventually you want to retire, right? So you need to save enough for you to retire. So saving is one piece and then growing your savings over time is a big piece that maybe uh, could be the main piece of your plan. And then there are also other elements such as uh, estate planning, uh, which, is, which has to do with the distribution of your assets uh, should you pass on. Um, and all these elements come together to form a full financial plan. Uh, so I guess when we're talking about insurance, we just want to emphasize that uh, insurance is really a contingency and not the main plan. Uh, and if you spend you know, more money on insurance than you do on the rest <laughs> of your plan, then you know, you're really majoring in something that is minor in the grand scheme of things. And when you do that, you may not be able to achieve uh, your goals because you are not funneling enough of your resources into the things that uh, matter more. Okay, give me a little bit of clarity as to what is uh, over-insured, you know? What is a situation where someone just buy too much insurance? To have enough insurance, you really need to know uh, what your need is. So we normally ask uh, three uh, key questions, right? What kind of insurance do you need? How much do you need? And how long do you need it for? Um, and that really is subject to your plan. So for example, uh, the length of time that you need it depends on uh, how long you need in order to accumulate enough uh, to retire or your target retirement age, for example, or the age at which your children will go uh, to university, for example. And then how much you need is really determined by how much the expense will be or how much you will need today in order to cover for those expenses should anything happen to you. Uh, so that's the length of time and the amount. And then what kind you need uh, is a little bit more... Uh, simple in the sense that, okay, if you, if you want to cover yourself for uh, death, then you need to buy life insurance. If you want to cover yourself for critical illness situations, then you need to buy critical illness insurance, um, so on and so forth. Let me add a bit. I think your question has two parts. One is excessive coverage. One is excessive premium, right? So uh, what you do not want is that you want to accumulate towards your goal. Then all your resources, or rather a large part of resources went into paying the premium. So that is also excessive, right? Mm. So I think Brian mentioned about uh, the appro appropriate amount, the coverage. But what we also need to be concerned is 
uh, are we paying too much? We put too much of our resources into a just-in-case scenario. Yeah, so yeah. risk management tool, essentially. Yes, right? yes. So fundamentally, it has to be linked back to, like what you said, the goals, right? And what is the plan? So within the plan is more than just the insurance itself, right? I think that's kind of that's where it is. So then how do I know I'm paying too much? You know, I think that's a lot of people are concerned about this. Right? Am I am I paying too much? Especially when the sector is uh, filled with very sales heavy kind of advice, right? So, so <laughs> I know that's why we're here, Ma, right? So, so I want to hear from you, like, um, how do I know it's too too much for me? I think you rightly pointed out a, a point where uh, insurance is sold, uh, It's not bought. Hmm. I mean, like. When you're free, you wouldn't think, oh, I want to buy insurance, right? <laughs> but it's like insurance, a uh, person come and tell you, hey, you uh, need yes. this insurance, no? then tell you, pay you this scenario. Yes, yes. Wow. Mm. I don't have, right? Then yes, yes. something bad will happen to my family and <laughs> I don't have enough. But really, I think it has to be a balance between uh, what you need and what you're paying. So first of all, you need to establish what you need. But if you're like, say, a fresh grad, you don't know what you need, I think the rule of thumb is maybe buy 10 times of your uh, annual income. But let's say you are, say, married with children, you have a mortgage, uh, then you really know what you need. You need to protect the mortgage. You need to make sure that uh, whatever savings you have not done for your children's education and your own retirement, uh, you want to protect it. Because just in case something happens, you want the family lifestyle to continue and children's education to be still uh, set aside, the house to be fully paid, that kind of thing, right? So I would say that insurance to protect what you need at the lowest cost possible, mm. that is the most appropriate. i give you an example. Um, let's say I need 500000 of insurance. But if I buy a f- uh, whole life plan versus I buy a term, the difference can be about seven times difference. Oh, right? wow. Okay. Yeah. Mm. So if... The premium, I mean, the premium is seven times different, right? So Covering the same amount, right? Same amount. Okay, okay. Yeah, let's say, for example, a 35 years old want to cover till 65 before he thinks he'll retire at 65. And I don't think so, but anyway. <laughs> <laughs> let's say. Things like, are say. changing, but okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. let's yeah. say, let's say, yes. Yeah. If he buy a whole life plan, he'll be paying uh, seven times more. So let's say uh, the premium is 1,005 for a term it can be about close to 10,000 for whole life. If you make 50,000 a year, 10,000 is 20%. That's a lot. Yeah, so that's too much, mm. right? But actually the coverage is not too much. But if you use the right plan for your coverage, then the premium makes sense. 1,005 over a, a 50K annual income, that's decent. Uh, that's like 3%, yeah. Mm. But of course, we need more than just death cover. Uh, that's like what Brian mentioned. Uh, we are protecting human capital, ability to earn an income, the money income. If you have disability or you have a critical illness, you may be down for a while or even extended period of time. So you need to protect. So insurance is the easiest way for a lump sum payout to cover that your inability to earn an income maybe for the next two to three years because it's a major illness, you need time to recuperate and catch up with your career. Mm. So then I know you guys are like major proponents of pushing for term, right, essentially. <laughs> Maybe the only ones out there really <laughs> telling people, buy term, buy term is good. Okay, so so then why do people still consider life insurance, you know, out there? And what are the differences, you know, between term and life, essentially? I would say that to get the coverage that we want, 
the easiest is to buy term because of the cost component. Mm. Whole life is saying that insurance company is telling you that, okay, I give you the insurance, but I help you to also have a saving plan. Say a dollar for a premium, 20 cents or less actually is the insurance coverage. Mm. 80 cents or more actually is the saving component. That is where, let's say at age 65, right? Let's say you buy a whole life and you surrender, you get back some of money. Because the, the extra premium goes into a life fund and life fund actually is an investment. They will likely, if you look at the report, there will be what, some equity and some bonds and then you will grow, right? But the thing is, even if you grow 10% for the life fund, you don't get that 10%. Uh, they will actually have a, when you buy insurance, they tell you what is the max you can get already, mm. right? So mm. then they will declare every year and a 65 year surrender. So it's a savings component as well. So our idea is that you want to separate the, the two things. You want to have a proper coverage because if you buy whole life, the premium is so much that you may not be able to get the coverage you need, right? So we really want to uh, plan it separately. First, you have your necessary coverage. Then you use the excess that you have to then invest to get a long-term higher rate of return. The best of class out there, no need to restrict to an uh, insurance life fund, right? And then, you know, the return... Uh, at the end of, say, 30 years, you look at the amount, maybe the compounded return is 3% per annum. Mm, well, mm. I think if you invest in some kind of uh, 80% equity, 20% bond combination, you may be able to get 5 6%, right? Mm, so mm. It's, at the end of 30 years, that's a lot of money. It can be a few hundred thousand dollars different between the so-called insurance surrender value versus your investment return if you use a global diversified portfolio with a 80-20 kind of combo. Mm, okay, okay. So essentially, what I'm hearing is whole life plan is a, you know, combo product, essentially, right? Where there's the insurance coverage and then there's the whole savings slash investment kind of, kind of thing within it. Okay, then why is it so pushed out in the market? Are there any upsides to whole life insurance? There are some situations in which a whole life policy may be uh, appropriate or helpful. So, as we said, we always want to determine, you know, uh, how long you need it, you know, how much you need. Um, for example, if you really wanted to have a amount of coverage for the entirety of your life, so maybe 100k or 150k, because uh, for some reason, when you fall critically ill or you pass away, the capital, uh, even at the late stage of your life, the capital can be used for your family or the capital can be used when you're ill to be spent on things like alternative treatments, for example, that normal, normally insurance wouldn't cover. What, what is an alternative treatment? Zhenjiu, huh? <laughs> what is considered alternative treatment? What? TCM. Uh, really, huh? yeah. really, TCM. No, I, I think <laughs> what he meant was, let's say, for example... Um, <laughs> Somebody at age 70, he has cancer, right? Mm, mm. Um, so they, they go through chemotherapy. So mm. hospitalization, if he has a hospital plan, it's all covered, right, the treatment. But I think being Chinese, you may still think that, oh, oh right? all this chemotherapy. <laughs> I, I may want to go for TCM mm, to, mm. to say, you know, I don't know, yin and yang, some, some kind of jia yeah, so yeah, you have yeah, some yeah, kind yeah. of some tonic of, to yeah. make sure that your body can be adjusted and that can be expensive sometimes. Mm, mm. Or alternative arrangement at home, right? You may need to have hospital bed, but oxygen or you need to have a full-time helper, right? Mm. So all this arrangement while you are doing, going through the treatment, 
it's not covered by the hospital plan. Mm. So if your lump sum, 200,000 being paid, even at 70, although it's not income replacement anymore, it's very useful for all these things. Mm. Yeah, that's what he yes. meant. Okay that's, okay. Right, that's right. Okay, that's cool. That's cool. So then, okay, so essentially we have two major types of insurance now on the table, right? The term where it covers you a fixed amount of time and it's only the pure insurance portion. And then the whole mm-hmm. life, which is the insurance plus saving slash investment kind of thing. Okay, that, that's where, where I'm hearing. And then there's this one other kind of insurance out there. It's also a very popular one called ILPs, right? Investment Link Plan. Now, these days, I think on the forums, maybe not as popular. <laughs> People flame it a little bit. But can you give me... Because it's, if it's a little bit messy for someone from the outside. I want to know what is the difference between like whole life and investment link. So all three are insurance. Let's say you have uh, 500,000 cover for all the three, right? So the first one term, plain vanilla. It's just a coverage, death, TPD. <laughs> I like vanilla. Just to yeah, the second one is uh, like the scenario I mentioned, uh, a dollar premium, 20 cent, coverage, 80 cent, I help you save. Mm, like right? the Cornetto corner at the end, got, still got the chocolate at the end, right? I help you save. <laughs> the third one, uh, the yes. third one is insurance company, I also have investment related product, but I select for you. So you choose within this. So I don't help you save. You take the full market risk. You select. So you choose your Asian equity, global equity, or technology, mm, or whatever you choose. Mm, mm, so you cannot blame me if you lose money or you don't do well. It's you choose. You Along the way, exposure. you like to change. Okay. I also allow you to change. Okay. Right. So the insurance portion is a bit similar, but then the growing part, right? They say you choose yourself what kind of uh, unit trust uh, within my my selection, right? And then, if you want to switch, it's also within. So mm. what we don't like sometimes is because of the limited selection and also the cost structure. So mm. if you split, you have the whole world, you know, investment product, you can buy ETF, you can buy uh, whatever unit trust out there and you can choose something that is very low cost and suit to your need. But if you're with the ILP, you are restricted. So, so why? Restrict yourself, bang so bang chow, in the mm-hmm. sense that you are limited, you are not able to have that flexibility. So your own investment in terms of liquidity, when you need money, when you want to top up, when you want to switch, there's a lot of freedom. And it's easier to plan this way. Mm-hmm. So end of the day, maybe just to also bring back the earlier point um, in terms of why people are selling whole life. I, I find that a lot of times, um, they may not be looking at the whole scenario, a holistic plan, before they say this whole life is the best plan for you. Maybe a bit more, um, I would say, just looking at the product itself, mm. some of the features and some of the benefits. So it is not holistic. Mm. Yeah. So if I'm in their shoe, right, I also maybe will look at compensation. Mm. So uh, the way the insurance company are structured is they compensate much better for whole life and ILP. So if you are influenced by compensation, sometimes that is why it's being sold that way. Mm. So like I say, insurance is a lot of time sold and bought. Mm. So yeah. Um, Those are very good points. I just wanted to uh, maybe share a little bit about the difference between investment link policies and whole life policies because I think that was part of your question as well. So... Uh, as Chike mentioned, both whole life uh, policies and investment link policies create a situation where they are they are taking a small portion of your premium, maybe ten cents. Actually, not of, very small, uh, eighty cents. Uh. 
the insurance portion is lesser. It's the like 20 cents. Yeah, yeah, right. 80 cents so is the same. Insurance is only a very small part, right? The 80 yeah. cents go to the investment. Yes, that's right. I mean, mm. I mean 10 cents uh, goes to uh, the cost of insuring oh, you okay. and, then, and then 90 cents or 80 cents goes to uh, investing. Uh, and in a whole life policy, that 80 cents goes to a life fund, uh, which you don't have a choice of. And then in an in a ILP, uh, there's a wider range of funds which you can choose, which I think Chicken mentioned. The other thing that is different is that in a whole life policy, the cost of insuring you is usually flat. So what this means is that across the whole life of the policy, uh, the cost that they are deducting to insure you over time uh, is constant, whereas in uh, IOP, it usually starts a little bit lower, but then it increases as you age. Really? Yes. So what, so what happens is that over time, as time passes, more and more of your premium is being used to insure you, and less and less of your premium is actually invested. Okay, okay. Yeah, this is called the mortality charge. La. It's a bit like following your age. Mm, you, you can just mm. imagine that the older we are, the higher probability of dying. Mm. So the charge of the insurance get higher. Mm. That's the traditional ILP. La. I mean, mm. of course, now they have a lot of different kind of plans. There are some plans that uh, ILP is pure investment, almost next to zero uh, uh, so-called protection. And isn't it called investment? <laughs> but it's sold by an insurance company. Okay, yeah. okay. So, so, so the so thing must is, link somewhere, la, huh? They have okay. to innovate, la. You know, uh, if you want investment only, I also have planned mm, just for investment. Mm, mm. Yeah, compared to say you buy it through uh, a unit trust platform. Yeah. Mm, mm, mm. Okay, I think that is a uh, a little bit concerning in the sense that it adds another texture of measurements. Right, because it's a it's another moving part, right? In, in my view, I find it very uh, too complicated. Correct, yes, correct. Right, because you add another dimension. Essentially, add one more formula into your your whole life planning. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe FDA approved weight loss medications like Wegovy and Zepbound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Correct. Can, can you imagine now you're 60 years old, then you feel that I need this insurance still, but the cost of insurance get higher and higher. And then there's now, Brian mentioned that sometimes we need whole life. If your ILP ties in with a critical illness, I want it to keep till say 80 years old or maybe throughout the life. Then you keep seeing the thing keep going up. Mm. And you also it actually eats away your so-called savings or your investment because mm. the, the way they charge, right, as you age, it increases and it's a bit like exponential curve. <laughs> so mm. it's not mm. even a, a linear straight yeah, line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, so that's the scary part about ILP if it's a critical illness component is, is also inside. Mm, okay, I, I want a little bit of clarity also on this uh, in the sense that, you know, all these kind of compound products, right? Whether it's a whole life or whether it's an investment link. Um, in a scenario where I need cash and I want to stop it, does it mean that, you know, everything stops? My insurance, my investments all stop together? Or can I just terminate a, a part of it, uh, the, the investment part of it? I don't know how that works. Whole life, you can actually take a loan from it. Mm. But the interest is relatively high. Um, ILP, I think you can you can do some kind of surrender, but I, I I I trust. I mean, I believe that although you can take cash out, 
but it's actually not as straightforward as let's say you have uh, an investment account where you want to top up, you want to stop the regular savings, or if you want to uh, withdraw some amount. The liquidity and, and, and how simple it is compared to an insurance plan, I feel that it's not worth the trouble because you get a better upside in your own investment. You have a lot of flexibility and control compared to your type to a product and the limited selection that they have. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they do charge you a premium on that. Lah, so. Yes, true. The expense ratio actually is also higher. That's why we think that for investment, if you really want to control your cost, uh, ILP is not the way to go. Okay. So then what is the way to go? If, if I were to come through your doors as someone in the 30s, having a stable career, work a few years already, and what would you recommend me to do based on like term and everything, which is what you propagate, you know, what, what would that be? Okay, give me some color. Okay. Actually, it would not start with say, oh, how much insurance you need. You start with what is your financial goal, right? So, so we need to know the basic things, your income, your expense, your net worth, and then what is your goal. Then we have a financial plan in terms of how to systematically accumulate towards that goal, right? So now we establish all the need to invest. Then we say, okay, basically your ability to reach your goal is maybe based on your ability to save for the next 20 years. So you have your income and your expense. That means you have your surplus. So we need to harness this surplus. But if what will happen that you are not able to reach your goal? So then we establish the risk, right? So protect your income, right? A huge medical bill. Or what if a disability happened? So along the way, we say, okay, you know, your goal will be in 20 years' time. So we need to actually protect your income for the next 20 years. And we establish what is the need. So maybe then we work backwards to say, oh, in terms of critical illness, uh, we want to protect, say, three years of income. Currently, you make 100K. Minimally, you need at least 300,000. And in terms of your death and TPD, depending on, let's say you have two kids, you want to make sure that they... Go to university, that will need 500000 You want to save towards uh, retirement and pay off your house. Then we say, okay, based on what you have and based on what you need, oh, there's a shortfall of, let's say, a million dollars of death cover. Then we say, okay, let's go and find something that is most cost-effective to cover a million for the next 20 years, right? And of course, uh, there are some insurance we almost all of us will have. Like, say, for example, uh, we will have our shield plan, the hospital hospitalization. If you are old enough, you will have elder shield or now the cashier plan. When you start work, you most probably will have your DPS, Dependent Protection Scheme. So we look at what you have. Then we see, okay, but your healthcare expectation is private hospital. Then we upgrade. We're going to find something that's suitable for you. So I would say that the process, right, is to first establish your goal. Then insurance is a support plan. It's just in case, right? So then we say, based on what you need. A lot of times when this, let's say, a 35-year-old come in the, through our door, they may have some insurance already, right? So we just buy what is the difference that they need. But, but sometimes, when they give one trolley load of insurance. I know, insurance. they too many people. <laughs> yeah, too many good friends <laughs> in the industry. Oh, friend, friend. Oh, my friend, support my friend. Don't yeah. do that, okay? No support friend, okay? Yeah, so, so in that case... <laughs> <laughs> in a sense, we have to say, let's look at uh, what you have done for yourself. Mm-hmm. And maybe sometimes you need to restructure some of the, the policies because 
like say too much resources went yeah, into yeah. I, I I met too many people <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah support friend as well yes. there's some people example is uh, you want to renovate your house 100,000 it cannot be 50,000 go buy fire extinguisher water mm. system and this and that right security system mm. you really want to make the house look nice yeah so so the idea is make sure that appropriate amount and the right coverage mm. yeah. so what, what is considered a good goal then because everything is linked to the goal, right? You have a goal, yes, you right. decide on a plan, then you manage your risk through insurance, mm. right? So what is considered a good goal? And have you met clients that come into your door and say, this goal is not What is a good goal? I mean, this is highly perspective. Yeah, right? it's, it's, just... it's, it's, it's quite a subjective thing because mm. um, everybody's goal uh, is really determined also by your life decisions, right? So some people aspire to live a very luxurious lifestyle. Some people can do with a lot less. Some people want to retire early so they can spend time doing other things other than their job. Some people will literally work until they die. So it really depends on what your life priorities are and then determining how much you need in order to support those priorities and by when. And then how reasonable your goal is really is also determined by, you know, uh, for better or, or, or worse, your ability to reach that goal. So sometimes clients may come in and have a certain goal when after we look at their financial situation, we sometimes have to speak to them and say, okay, based on what we are seeing in your financial situation, how long you have left, based on your career, uh, we how think... How long you have left quite heavy, yeah. <laughs> Left to work. Left okay, to work. Okay. Yes, yes, yes. Yes, yes, yes. No, no, no. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, how, how, how long your income is going to last. Mm, mm. And then sometimes we have to tell them, you know, this may not be mm. so achievable or at least not achievable without taking uh, very, crazy, risk. yeah, very crazy risks. Mm. So um, in those situations, we really have to have a very serious conversation about what is important to them. Because this amount that they're accumulating supports a lot of different things, right? It supports a certain level of education for their children. It supports um, the type of car they drive. It supports the type of housing they live in, the type of food they eat. So, you know, there's always trade-offs. Uh, and in order to meet a certain goal, if they are not really able to meet all of them, maybe they can prioritize and determine which ones are more important to them mm -hmm. and then kind of adjust the plan such that they can still achieve uh, a very good quality of life. Yeah, so, so how would that conversation look like? You know, because like everybody wants to achieve all these things, right? But fundamentally, when you look at the resources, you know that unless certain special scenario happen, um, it's very unlikely that, you know, some people will have these kind of unlikely situations of achieving the goals, right? So, Okay, maybe let me uh, explain a bit. The engineer in me will come out. Yes, yes, <laughs> okay. yes, yes. Okay, we have a very Tokong Excel. <laughs> yeah. So, so the thing is, we can put in all these numbers. We can put in inflation numbers and... We can come up with a so-called NASIC unit to support, let's say, a 30 years retirement, right? So let's say, for example, uh, I want to retire at age 60. I'm very conservative. I just need $5,000 a month, 3% inflation for the next uh, 30 years after I reach 60. So in, in Excel, right, you can just work backwards to say, okay, at 60, this is the amount you need. Let's say you need uh, $2 million. It can be different things. It can be your CPF, your investment, uh, and some cash, this and that. So now let's say you are 20 years away from this goal, right? So based on your income and expense, we know the surplus. We say, okay, this is the amount you can save. And then already you have some amount of money. 
So the Excel can also work to say that based on this surplus that you have and the existing you have, what is the rate of return you need? If the rate of return you need is say 5%, we think it's reasonable because with the next 20 years accumulation to get 5% return, no need to do anything crazy. But your surplus is very little and then you say, I still want 5,000, then we work backwards. Oh, you need 10% per annum. Then, then we will be worried lah, because you will be taking excessive risk. And the thing is, investment is, there's a high probability of achieving it if the return is reasonable because historically that is what the market uh, have provided given a certain portfolio. So we definitely as financial planner want our clients goal to be achieved with a high certainty, high probability. So doing the numbers help us to have this conversation with our clients. So it will be um, the analytical part. Of course, we, we will speak to the clients to understand a lot of other things. But simple numbers in terms of accumulation needs and the rate of return will help us establish a kind of portfolio that is reasonable to have a high certainty of achieving them. Mm. So what is a reasonable rate of returns then? In the market these days, uh, numbers are flying everywhere. So... <laughs> I want to know, in your view, you know, what is considered a reasonable rate of return? Yeah, I mean, um, we have planning numbers and we have actual numbers. I mean, mm. a lot of people out there say historical return cannot guarantee future numbers, yes, yes, right? Yes, yes, yes. But I think we have enough numbers to say that, let's say you have a, a portfolio of certain percentage of bonds and equity, let's say uh, 70, 30 or 60, 40. 60% equity, 40% bonds. Because investment, right, is up and down, it also ties to your own personal risk profile. So you need to be able to go through this journey and not so volatile until you will get out of the market, right? So we think that, let's say, uh, 5% per annum is quite reasonable for people with a 60, 40 or 70, 30 kind. And then it's not so volatile because the bonds component help to reduce the volatility. The important thing about investment is not just timing the market. It's also able to uh, withstand through the up and down and achieve the long-term return that you need, right? So really, it's not just trying to maximize return, right? For us as financial planner, it's to help clients go through this journey, handhold them, make sure that they have the discipline to do constant regular investing, like RSP, they call it RSP in, in our term called regular saving plan. And we will work with them on a regular basis, meet up at least an annual basis to look at the progress. Because uh, a 20 years, things can also change because they may have better careers or they want to upgrade their house, cash flow change. So we will work with them. So I would think maybe to your answer, if your plan, when you calculate your need of return is say 4 to 7%, I think it's quite reasonable. Mm. At the core is really about probability, right? If your aim is 10, mm. 20%, not impossible, you know, but probability, what are the chances? And whether the risk is, is uh, too crazy, lah, essentially. Yes, because we are talking about need to be consistently over a 20 years period, yes, for example. Yes, yes. I'm quite sure for our investment, there'll be times that you have 10, 20%, but then there'll be also negative year. I mean, just recently, 21.8 was a negative year. Then we have very good 21.9. 2020 actually is a reasonable year, but it's a roller coaster year. Or well, March come down, then go up. <laughs> so if you are not able to withstand this roller coaster, you may get out at the wrong time and never get in when it recover. Mm. So 
for us, we always tell our clients, you need to understand our risk profile and you need to invest long term. Staying invested is actually the way to go. And in fact, if market give a correction like this, it's actually giving a discount. If you have some spare cash, that means outside of your emergency cash, you can put in some more. So if let's say I am um, someone, I just started my career, okay, I, I make some money, but my goals are not clear. Okay, because I think all the discussion, all the premise uh, is on clear goals. Your goals must be clear, then we can have a plan, then we can manage risk, right? Essentially, that's the idea. Yes. But if my goals are not clear, I come to you, we say like, oh, I already worked like five years, 10 years, you know, I have uh, about 120,000 in my bank account and this is my expenses, blah, blah, blah. But I don't really know what I'm looking for. You know, I don't really know my goals. What would you advise me to do? I mean, I thought maybe there's some rule of thumb as well, lah. Let's say, for example, you don't have a clear goal as in like financial goal. Let's say buy a house or, or save for retirement. Um, I would say think that for, let's say, insurance, you may want to say um, have some coverage still because definitely you need hospitalization. Maybe you, you don't know how much is your economic worth. Just buy 10 times of your so-called uh, annual income and have maybe uh, two to three years of critical illness cover. And you also need to be a good steward of your own resource, right? Just now you mentioned about 150000 Okay, let's say. You need to maybe put aside, say, six months of expenses so that one cannot be invested, six months of emergency cash. The rest, I think you can do something like asset enhancement. If you cannot really think long-term, then go on the middle path, like a balanced kind of portfolio, 60-40. If really you need to draw down and a market is against you, then maybe draw down on the bond side, for example. So at least when you have more clarity, like a different phase in life, you decide to, to get married or buy a house, you, you know that there is a certain goal, then you adjust your plan. Yeah, but putting everything in, in the bank, I think is, is wrong. <laughs> because <laughs> now it's like what, less than 1%. And, and, and really, let's say you are still talking about only work 5 years, what, less than 30 years so. Life is ahead of you. Really need to make money work harder as well. Mm, okay, so if I don't have clear goals, then go for middle ground, go for something more generic. Yeah, just to add, I think even, let's say, as a single person, a lot of times we do have uh, loved ones, let's say parents, for example. Uh, even though uh, we may not be, let's say, giving them allowance, but if something bad happened, we really think that we want to repay whatever they have so-called invested in us to a certain extent. Mm. So, but uh, just now the, the, the benchmark, not benchmark, I would say Scenario, the ballpark yeah. of mm. say 10 times, right? So if that is being paid out and then it's given to the parents, I think it's just a responsible thing to do also, mm. right? Okay, but I, I want to caution that part. Yeah, I feel um, a lot of young people are a little bit tied down to this whole filial piety thing. You know, these days, I personally feel that in your early days, you need to sort out yourself first. Right? Once, you, once you are in a better track, you can sort out yourself, then uh, you can care for your family, your extended family, or your immediate family in the future. Okay? So I feel that a lot of young people in the early days of uh, figuring out your life, trying different career switches, don't take on too much pressure of like, oh, I need to like, repay my parents and all those kind of things. Like, I find that very... Very scary la, for, for, for a lot of young people that are mm. in this phase of just searching for their life. Yes. Actually, I'm, I'm not uh, uh, talking about that. It's more like in case, worst case scenario happen, mm. accident happen. So uh, the person passed on, right? So instead of leaving only the savings, insurance, 
let's say a term insurance uh, pays uh, 10 times of his income, let's say 500,000, and that would be just given to the, the parents, right? So, so it's not, say, filial piety, but it's more of just uh, leaving behind a legacy to say that, you know, I'm not able to do something that I can do later when my income is better, but I just leave behind something for the family. Because the, the uh, death cover is stroke TPD. But in case you may right, that half a million is actually for yourself as well. Mm. Very morbid, uh, this discussion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because yes, yes. TPD is very uh, severe kind of accident. Mm. Two hands, two legs, two eyes, any mm. pair. Mm. So probability is quite low, la, but it's quite severe. It's likely that you are not able to work as per normal already. Mm. Your income is severely impact. Yeah, or maybe even not even to make an income already. Mm. Heavy, yeah, heavy. But yes, <laughs> I, get, I get your points, yeah. Back to your point about uh, taking a middle path. I think that's okay, but it's kind of like a stopgap measure in the sense that while you're still figuring things out, then you can continue to have your money grow uh, at a decent rate. But it is still important, and I want to encourage everybody uh, to really, especially if you're young, to think about uh, these things um, very seriously because at the end of the day, your money is really there to uh, help you to achieve what you want in life, right? To give you things, to be spent on things that uh, matter to you. So until you, you know, can become clearer on that, um, it is very hard for you to achieve that. And there's a danger that you just leave your money invested uh, in a middle path and then you end up in a place where you don't want to end up. Mm, yeah. mm. So it's more of a stopgap measure and then you continue to think about uh, where you want to go. Nice, thank you. I think that is a uh, clarity that a lot of people need, right? You can take tentative strategies like stopgap, uh, middle yeah. path, but fundamentally, all your whole financial planning and you know all these goal settings are fundamental to having a clarity as to where you want to go and how you want to achieve your life. Yes, Okay. Right. Thank you. Thanks, both of you. I think we had a great discussion. So fundamentally, it links back to goal setting, plan, and then risk management through term insurance. That is what you guys stand for. That's right. Yes. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Thank Have you. Have a great day. Thank you. Hey, I hope you learned something useful today and truly appreciate that you took time off to better your life with the financial coconut. Knowledge is that much more powerful and interesting when shared, debated and discussed. Join our community telegram group, follow us on our social, sign up for our weekly newsletter. Everything is in the description below. And if you love us and help us grow, definitely share the podcast with your friends and on your socials. Also, if you have some interesting thoughts to share or know someone that you want to hear more from, reach out to us through hello at thefinancialcoconut.com. With that, have a great day ahead. Stay tuned next week and always remember, personal finance can be chill, clear and sustainable for all. Okay, I have last three questions that we ask every single guest. The first question is, uh, what is one core life principle that you hold closely to? Um, so, let me answer that by saying that uh, I am a sailor. Uh, and I've been sailing since I was very young. Uh, and kind of the reason that I got into sailing with, together with my brothers is that um, my parents thought it was a good idea, a good way to kind of teach us how to be responsible. Because um, when you're out there on 
on the open sea, just you and your boat. Of course, I mean, you have squad mates and coaches, you know, for safety. But every action that you take uh, is really uh, your own action. Any result that happens from that is attributable to you. If you capsize, if you fall out of your boat, if, you, if you're going fast or you're going slow, it's really um, your responsibility. Off water, at, uh, you know, when you have to take care of your boat, you have to make sure your equipment is in order. That all uh, relates to responsibility. So I think through boating, um, I really learned to uh, take responsibility and not put blame on things and also others, right? So um, I think that taking personal responsibility is something that I think is very important in life. Cool. I think your life's perspective may change if you become a parent. So I'm a father of two kids. So nowadays, I think um, passing down values as legacy is important for me. That means... Uh, maybe many parents would think that oh, uh, passing down monetary assets or they having uh, good grades, that means pressure them in their, in their studies is important. But for me, I think building their bonds and passing them good values to be a good person is important. I mean, this is just the phase of my life that I, I want to work on this. Yeah, I agree. And I give you the prize of Good Dad Award. Right, that's good stuff. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, next question. Uh, what is a particular personal finance advice that you feel needs to be further propagated? Ah, okay. So, kind of kind of related to my core life principle, um, I think taking personal responsibility for your finances, right, and your financial plan and your own money is extremely important. And I think um, it is something that people may or may not do enough um, in the sense that I think a lot of people don't spend enough time educating themselves and also uh, are quite happy to outsource their financial well-being to an advisor, for example. And I think while advisors can be helpful, uh, it is also very important for us to take personal responsibility. So that's why at Provident, we actually spend a lot of time and a lot of effort uh, producing things, um, you know, producing content, video content, um, sending out emails, writing articles, uh, conducting webinars to try and make sure that our clients are well-educated and that when we work with them, it is a partnership uh, between them and us and not um, just something that we are doing for them. Nice. I think for me, uh, it's really back to basic about savings. So I think managing your own uh, expenses, understanding what you spend is is important. I think a lot of people nowadays... They don't really keep track. They just have an idea, okay, you know, I earn this much, I, I spend this much, but they do not know exactly uh, where their money is going to or if they actually spend within their means because you have credit card and things like that. So that's one thing that I want to teach my daughter last time, right? So I, since secondary school, I give her a, a monthly pocket money. So I remember there are times that, oh, she come back to me, daddy, I, I'm broke, I... I bankrupt now. <laughs> so, but that is good lessons because that time is what, 14, 15 years old is fine. But can you imagine this is like 20, 25 or, or 30 for example. Then that's bad, right? So uh, I'd rather her learn the lessons and know that where the money is going to and then ability to save is the first and most important lesson, I think. Nice. Thank you. So which part of your life are you giving additional focus on now? 
so for me, kind of uh, two broad areas um, that I that I'd say I probably am putting a lot of focus on now. So for me, I'm I'm still pretty new, even though it's been almost two years. Um, I think my role uh, right now is to assist advisors in providing the best advice possible. But at the same time, uh, I'm constantly learning, upgrading, and trying to make sure that I'm ready to become a client advisor, which uh, I hope will happen soon. Um, and then on the personal side, uh, I got engaged recently. Uh, so I think I'm spending a lot of time yeah, plan planning for the wedding, but also uh, working out what it means for my financial plan. Nice, yeah. nice. Yeah, I'm the other side of the spectrum. <laughs> <laughs> I've done all this, been there, done that. Kawai yeah, kawai kawai I'm kawai. 50, right? So I, I, I came into the industry 15 years ago and those clients, I did retirement planning, right? So partnering them. So in, in Providence, as we do this progress meeting every year, it's a very satisfying feeling when you see your clients meeting their goal, right? So we had a plan 10, 15 years ago, they have a systematic accumulation and now they are meeting their goals. They're looking forward to their retirement. So the same thing, I'm also at the life stage. I'm 50, so I'm looking forward to say at 60 to retire. So in 10 years time. So I also accumulating and systematically looking to it. So both for my client's retirement and my retirement is the focus currently. Yeah. Mm. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, gentlemen. Appreciate well, your time. Thank you, Reggie. Ooh. Thank you. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.